This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
you, Faith. Let's just uh, still our hearts, bow our heads once again and pray. Father, we just ask that um, today your word would really minister, speak, challenge, convict us. Lord, we need you. Uh, we really need you as, as we uh, just open our Bibles today. Uh, we just ask that you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is week two in our series that we're calling Restart. And just a real, real quick recap of where we were last week. We said that everything in life has a starting point, and, and we understand that until it comes to the matter of our faith. As Americans in this very religious part of our country that we call the Bible Belt, many people have come to believe that our physical birth marks the beginning of our spiritual birth. Uh, they believe that everybody goes to a better place, but that's not so. There must be a starting point where we receive Christ and experience regeneration, and thankfully, many of us here today have had that starting point. But then in this series, we're talking about the tendency for us to wander away. That, that song just kind of set up this lesson so well. And, and, and there's a tendency to allow our relationship with Jesus to become lukewarm or become more like a tradition rather than a vibrant faith. And so from time to time in our relationship with Jesus, we need a restart. And as we hit the restart button last week, we talked about the foundation or or the starting point for the Christian faith. You know, so often the, the starting point becomes blurry to us. And we spend our energy trying to debate why bad things happen to good people. Or, or we debate conservative versus liberal. Or Democrat versus Republican. Or contemporary music versus hymns. Or, or King James Version of the Bible versus NIV, New International Version. And before we know it. We've lost sight of the foundation or the starting point of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. And if you ever begin to think that every religion is the same and, you know, we're all just kind of worshiping the same God. We call him different names. And, but, but it's the same God. If you ever begin to think that you need to go back to the starting point, go back to Jesus Christ. And the proof that Jesus is the real deal and different than any other religious leader is the fact that he died, but on the third day, resurrected from the dead. That's the proof. Without the resurrection, Christianity becomes like any other religion. Without the resurrection, there is no Bible that means anything. Without the resurrection, there is no eternal life. So Jesus is truly the starting point, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now today we're going to continue to build on last week's lesson. And if we're doing a restart, there's a word that we will eventually bump up against. Now this word only has three letters, so in, in a sense it's a small word. It's easy to pronounce, but in another sense it's a big word. It's very hard to say. I'm referring to the word sin. Now, in everyday talk, we, we typically don't use the word sin very much. For, for example, we don't say to our employees, 
well, would you please come to my office? We're going to talk about some of your sins. Or when the police officer pulls you over, the officer doesn't say, well, well, sir, uh, ma'am, I'm going to have to give you a little sin citation because you broke the law. You know, the Bible says to obey the laws of the land. So here's your little sin citation for going too fast. Or if the teacher catches you, you cheating, he or she doesn't say, they don't say, well, you're in trouble because of a sin you committed. Or if you get caught selling meth and you go to court, the prosecuting attorney doesn't say to the judge, your honor, we're here because so-and-so was caught sinning. No, we, we generally keep the word sin out of our daily conversation and try to reserve it exclusively for the pastor to use during his Sunday morning sermon like I'm doing today. Now, why do we hesitate to use the word sin? Well, I'm sure there are several reasons, but one of the main reasons I think is because when you say, I have sinned, well, that's pretty heavy stuff. And it doesn't leave us with much, much uh Wiggle room. You really can't go back and say, well, you see, my dad was an alcoholic and my mom, mom suffered with depression and my wife, she, you know, she just didn't meet my needs in the bedroom or, or my husband didn't spend time with me or our society is so wicked it rubbed off on me. My church is just so full of hypocrites and cliques and, you know, my poor pastor, he can't preach worth a hoot. And so that's the reason I have all of this wicked behavior built up in me, blah, blah, blah. No, when you say I've sinned, there's no blaming others. You're basically saying, hey, look at me. I'm going to be really clear. I'm the problem. I'm a sinner. And, and because of the stigma associated with the word sin, what we've done in our culture, and, and we've actually done this for, for, for many years now, we've substituted in another word for sin, a, a word that's a lot, a lot easier for us to say, we've replaced the word sin with the word mistake. You know, how many times have we seen some political uh, public official or, you know, po a politician or even a pastor, they'll go in front of 18 microphones and, and a press corps as large as this entire congregation and, and they will confess not a sin, but a mistake. You know, they blew up their family or they siphoned funds from a public account or, or whatever they did. And, and what did they say? Well, I've made some mistakes. Because that sounds so much better than saying, well, I've sinned. But, but really, as we spend some time here, do you know what a mistake is? A mistake portrays that you didn't realize what you were doing. You know, a mistake is, is something you make on a math test. You didn't add right or messed up on the mathematical formula, whatever. A, a mistake is like I, I made uh, last week. I, I got some little pins for my mower, the, the little uh, deck wheel. It was a little baggie of four. I somehow lost them. A package of four went missing. That was a mistake. Or a mistake is when, when you're driving and, you're, and your GPS tells you to make the next right turn, but you miss it. That's a mistake. You know, back, 
back some years ago, I think I told this back several years ago, but we were dragging our little pop-up camper from, from coast to coast, north to south here in the, in the States and on our vacations when the girls were still home. And, and uh, we went to, uh, to New York City. Talk about Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, but we missed our turn, and, and we were on one of those highways that had about 50 different lanes, and uh, we missed our exit, and, and, and so it took us up to a toll booth, and we had to go through the toll booth, paid our toll, and turn around and headed back west. And, and so, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, the, the exit was actually just on the, on, on the east, and, and, and so, uh, you know, we, we had to turn around. Well, would you believe we missed our exit again? Dragging that pop-up, had to go through the toll booth and pay her toll and then turn around, pay her toll, coming back the other way. Uh, that's a mistake. A big mistake. A mistake is when you're making a cake, uh, something that, which I don't do, but you're making a cake and you forget to put in an ing- ingredient. A, a mistake is you forget to mail your taxes on time so you have to pay a penalty. Those are mistakes. And most of the time, even though mistakes can be embarrassing, we don't mind too much admitting a mistake. In fact, if I were to ask you, how many of you made some mistakes this past week? I would guess that most of you would raise your hands. Um, I, I know I would. In fact, to not raise your hand would almost subject you to the snide remarks of, Oh, you didn't make any mistakes, Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect. Um, you know, most of the time, except for maybe a few of you that have an excess amount of pride, <laughs> you don't mind too much admitting that you made a mistake. But if I were to ask this morning, how many of you were involved in a specific sin this past week? the number of hands would probably dramatically decrease. Why? Well, I'm sure there would be less sins committed than mistakes, but but another reason is because we struggle admitting sin and we worry about what others would think of us. And, And so if we would see somebody raise their hand admitting they sinned, we would immediately, I know because I'm just like you, we would go into the guessing mode of what sin was committed. I mean, seriously, if you saw my hand go up admitting that I sinned this past week, what would you think? Well, again, I know what you would think because I know how I think. You would think, hmm, Joe says he sinned. I wonder what he did. You know, I wonder if he stole something. You know, I've heard he likes chocolate, so maybe he stole a candy bar from a convenience store. Or I wonder, do you think Joe looked at pornography this past week? Did he commit adultery? Did he beat his wife? Did he go out and get totally soused, or snookered, or hammered? Did he say a four-letter word when he got upset? I wonder what Joe did. So, anyway, if I would ask, did anybody make a mistake? Oh, yeah, nobody's perfect. But if I would ask, did anybody sin? Oh, pastor, that's too heavy. Let's not say it that way. And twisting the knife a little bit here, we even use the word mistake for those things we knew full well were wrong, but we did them anyway. Could we maybe call them 
premeditated, premeditated mistakes? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Welcome to the Church of God Holiness, where you always feel good about yourself. Well, how are we to deal with mistakes, and how are we to deal with sins? Well, first of all, for mistakes, when we make a mistake, the solution starts with a C. You correct it. You make a mistake, you correct the mistake. If you messed up on a math equation, you talk with Mrs. Pearl. She will help you understand what you did wrong. You can correct it. If you made a mistake and missed a turn, well, go around the block, get on the right road. If you lost those pins like I did, humble yourself and go back to Brandon Watkins and say, man, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, remember those pins I got from you? I lost them. And so I paid out a couple of bucks. Corrected my mistake, no big deal, just a little humbling. So with a mistake, you correct it, and depending on the situation, if it, if it affected someone else, you may need to apologize, but hopefully you can learn from it so you won't repeat that same mistake the next time. But the problem is this. Many of us have tried to correct our so-called mistakes when they go much deeper than just being a mistake. We say, well, you know, I'm going to stop drinking so much. I'm going to stop looking at pornography. I'm going to stop going here. Stop doing this. And, and so we try to self-correct us. Or our wife or our husband, that they try to correct us. Or, or some of us even pay $120 an hour to a professional so they can correct us. And, and, and there's a place for that. I'm not necessarily against that. But the problem is that, that many times all of our efforts at correction fail. Why? Because maybe, just maybe, it's a deeper problem. Perhaps it's not a mistake. Perhaps it's a sin. And instead of being a mistaker, we are a sinner. In fact, here's the 101 definition of a sinner, and, and, and you can find this definition in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 17, but I'm just going to say it in my words. A sinner is somebody who knows better but does it anyway. Now, as we get into the heart of our lesson, remember I began this lesson by saying that we don't like to talk about sin, but when we read the Bible, we find out that, that Jesus says we really do need to talk about sin. Because he says, I can't restore you until you're willing to accept the fact that you're not just a mistaker, but you're a sinner. In fact, here's what Jesus knew, and, and this is so important. Jesus knew that as long as you think you're just making mistakes, you will never seek what you really need. Do you know what sinners need? Not just correction. They need forgiveness from Jesus. Now, a mistake doesn't necessarily require forgiveness. It may require an apology. You know, I'm sorry, I didn't realize, that, you know, I messed up. I didn't have all the information. And a mistake can generally be taken care of by correcting the problem, apologizing to the person that was affected. But when it comes to sin, it completely changes the way we approach the solution. Sin requires forgiveness. 
And Jesus says, before you can be forgiven, you must admit that you're not just a mistaker. I think we're coining a new word here, but you know what I mean. Rather, you're a sinner. And then and only then can you be restored. And what Jesus would do is so countercultural. Jesus would teach on sin and, and instead of dumbing it down and, and saying, Oh, you sin? Well, that's okay. You know, we all sin. We're human. Plus, you're only 15. Or you're new in the faith and you didn't know better. Or you weren't raised in a Christian home, so you probably haven't read the Bible. Or, or you were raised in an abusive home. And, and, you know, as long as you really love her, what, what you're doing, no, that's not right. But, you know, it could be worse. Jesus didn't do that. He took the seriousness of sin to a completely new level. And, and he said, okay, you say you've done a couple of things bad. Well, let me tell you how bad you really are. And Jesus jacked the standard up so high that everybody went, we're doomed. But then right before people jumped off of a cliff because of hopelessness, Jesus rushed in to tell them that God loves doomed sinners. Here's how he said it. And if you want to follow along in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. You know the scripture. For I tell you that your righteousness, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. And, you know, the Pharisees, they were like the best acting people in town. Seriously. So unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And now at this point, everybody in the audience went, uh-oh, we're in trouble. There's no way that we can be better than the best people in town. Jesus wasn't finished. Verse 21, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder anyone, uh, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And, and, and these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, and, and they knew this. And so they said, duh, we know that. We know the Ten Commandments. We, we know about thou shalt not murder. And, and maybe about that time they said, wait a minute. And perhaps they jumped to their feet and, and said, Jesus, are you accusing us of murder? And We'll have you know we've never murdered anyone. And just kind of reading between the lines, it was almost like Jesus said, sit down. I'm not done yet. Verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So, so harboring feelings of anger, it's on the same level of murder in God's economy. And before they could interrupt, Jesus said, that's not all. And then verse 27, he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, to which they probably jumped to their feet again and said, don't you dare accuse us of adultery. And once again, it's almost like Jesus said, sit down. Verse 28, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully and you can imagine where they were mouthy, you can imagine them going completely silent, not saying anything, but Certainly thinking, wait a minute, Jesus, you've got to be kidding. I mean, Jesus, who hasn't looked at a woman with a few lustful thoughts in their mind? I, I mean, we're men. That's, that's what men do. I mean, they check out the menu. They didn't say that. But I'm sure that was going on in their minds. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And Jesus goes on and on and on and on until the bar is raised so high that everybody's like, what's the point of trying? We're all doomed. But then Jesus rushes in there and says, that's why I'm here. But he's clear. He says, you will never be rescued 
You will never be restored to God until you acknowledge that you're a sinner and not just a mistaker. And what I found is that those who refuse to admit sin and they just want to claim that it's a simple mistake, you know, they struggle so much because they think they can self-correct. They think that on their own they can fix it, but they never get there because sin requires more than just self-correction. It needs forgiveness from Jesus Christ. You've heard this account in the Bible. The religious leaders bring this woman into Jesus and they throw her down in front of him. She was caught in adultery and this wasn't just like mental adultery and this wasn't just like flirting. It was actual adultery, the real thing caught in the very act and it had to be tremendously embarrassing. And and these church leaders, they were adamant, Jesus, you know, according to our bylaws, she should be stoned. And you know the account. Jesus says, okay, well, whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And they all slink away, leaving just Jesus and the woman. And and here's how Jesus ends the conversation. And this is so significant. He says, woman, I don't condemn you. But go and sin no more. And, And could I just expand on this a little bit without hurting the integrity of the scripture and say it this way? Maybe Jesus says, ma'am, you sinned. And you were caught. You were caught red-handed. Now look at me. We're not going to listen to any of your excuses. I, I realize you could talk about your family background, how you didn't have an example at home, and we're not going to talk about how you had one too many drinks and it made you do something you regret. We're not going to talk about how you were lonely and this guy just showed you attention. Ma'am, look at me. Look at me. You sinned. So that makes you a sinner. By the way, I I don't condemn you as long as you stop what you're doing. And that's the way Jesus operated. Admit you're a sinner. Admit it. Don't be defensive. Don't justify what you did. Don't blame somebody else. And that puts you in a position to where Jesus will then offer you forgiveness so you can be restored. But if you try to play this little dance in the middle, well, well, I'm not so bad. And, you know, I pray and other church people, they do worse things than I do. And, yeah, I don't go to church, but I'm as good as anybody else. If that's the attitude, you will never know full restoration. One day Jesus tells three stories, and and you know these stories well. He tells a story about a lost sheep, and you remember that one from Sunday school. He tells a story about a lost coin, and that one we struggle with a little bit because of cultural differences here. But then the most famous of the three stories is that he tells back to back to back is the story of the lost son. We call, of course, the story of the prodigal son. And basically in this story, a young man comes to his dad and said, Dad, looks like you're going to live a long time yet. And I know this is unusual, Dad, but I'd like for you to give me my half of the inheritance now. And that way, I, while I'm still young, you know, I can enjoy the money. Maybe I can invest the money or whatever. Well, in a surprising move, Dad gives it to him. And you know the story. The boy, boy goes away, wastes the money on wine, women, song. And before he realizes it, the money's gone. And his friends are gone. His food is gone. And he finds himself in a pigsty fighting the pigs for their food. And he reaches bottom. And it dawns on him one day, I am so messed up. My father's servants have it better than I do. And 
So he decides to go back to dad and asks not to be reinstated as a son with rights, but just to ask to become one of his servants. So he prepares a little speech that he's going to give his father. Here it is. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Yeah. It's important to note that he didn't say, Dad, I've made some mistakes over the past few months. And Dad, it didn't work out like I thought it would. But, but Dad, I just had to do this. I had to test my wings. I just had to get away and find myself. And again, it didn't work out for me. But, but really, Dad, come to think of it, part of the reason it didn't work out was because you were so overly protective of me during my childhood. So I didn't have a chance to learn that there are really bad people out there that will take your money. And Dad, you made me go to church. And, and you know our church was so legalistic that it turned me off. So yeah, Dad, I, I made some mistakes. But I think part of the reason was because of how you raised me. He, he didn't say any of that. He said, Dad, I've sinned against heaven or against God. I've sinned against you. And and, and may I just say this? I believe there are a lot of people out there that have never said these three words. I have sinned. They prefer to say, but you know, my background and how my dad treated me, how my mom wasn't a very good mommy to me, and I was always picked on in school and And my counselor said, it's because of this disorder that I have. And I understand all of these things. Please don't misunderstand me. These things can and do play into our patterns of behavior. They can scar us for life. But here we see the son owning up to his actions. He says, I've sinned. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you, Dad. Dad, I recognize I don't have a right to call you dad. There's no reason for you to call me son. And it's because of my sin. But listen to this. Luke 15, 22. But the father said to his servants. So the son's made his little speech. And did you notice the dad doesn't even address the son? Because in this story, when the father heard the words, I've sinned, he knew his son was back. He knew his son got it. No excuses, no blaming others. He recognizes his sin. And and so the father doesn't even respond to the son directly. And he says, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Now, if you were raised in church, you remember how the older son is not happy. And he basically says, but dad, don't you need to hear where he's been? And no, son, I can tell. I I can smell. (laughs) But, But dad, don't you want him to explain what happened to all of the money? No, son. But dad, don't, don't you think you should, you should lecture him and tell him he should have known better? No, son. He knows he messed up. Well, what about punishing him? I mean, he hurt our family name. He embarrassed us. Shouldn't you punish him? No, son. This is not the time for that. He says, my son is back. He owns it. No excuses. Which means... He can now be restored. Verse 24 says, For this son of mine was dead. He was dead spiritually and dead in the relationship with his family. And he said, And is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And this would have never happened if the son would have said, Well, Dad, I made some bad mistakes. 
You know, I found out I'm a bad money manager. And dad, when it comes to finding friends, I'm a poor judge of character. No, the son said, dad, I didn't just make some mistakes, but I sinned. I'm not a mistaker. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And here's the point. Please don't miss it. When you consider pressing the restart button in your relationship with God, remember that admitting your sin is what paves the way to restoration. Now, in our minds, admitting the fact that I'm a sinner, it dooms us. You know, it's over. The bottom falls out. It's embarrassing. We're, we're finished. But Jesus said, that's not my message. My message is admit who you are so you can become everything I want you to be. Admit that there's been a severing in our relationship. Admit the fact that you've been separated from God. And realize that the way back is to quit making those silly excuses and racking it up to the fact that I'm only human and we all make mistakes and we all blow. No, we need to own it and say, I have sinned. A couple of weeks ago, we went to uh, see Samson at Sight and Sound Theater in Branson and and by the way, if you get an opportunity to see that, it's, it's worth your time. Something was said by the narrator, who was also Samson's father in this, in this drama. But, but he said something that stuck with me. He said, sin makes you stupid. I know I'm not supposed to say that word in church, but <laughs> sin makes you stupid, and it makes you do stupid things that you would never otherwise even think of doing. And as I thought about that, in, in kind of a crude way, it was illustrated to me a few days ago. I, uh, I try to ride my bike, uh, you know, two to three times a week for an hour each time. You know, when you get as old as I am and you're trying to climb a mountain with guys that are half my age, I want to at least stay in the same zip code as them, so I've got to at least get decent shape here to stay up with them. But I have my route, not a lot of traffic there, and... Um, and I, I don't know, it just seems like they're, I, I attract dogs when I ride my bike. And, you know, there are five dogs that like to chase me on this route. And most of the time they're yappers and they're harmless. But there's this big dog. And, you know, this dog has chased me before, but luckily the owners have always been in the yard. And so they, they call back this dog. And, you know, as every... Every owner tells me every time. Um, they say, oh, that dog won't hurt you. And, and, and do you know one other phrase that every dog owner says every time? It might lick you to death. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, a week, week and a half ago, I was riding out there and... Um, the owners were not out in the yard that day. And the dog came after me. And I found out that that dog licks with his teeth. <laughs> he nailed me. And luckily, um, got my shoe and so kind of protected my foot. And then we were meeting a truck. And so that saved me from uh, further harm there. Now... Um, all of that to say that I, I believe what the owners said is true. I, when they said he will not hurt you, he wouldn't hurt a flea, he might lick you to I believe them. 
But, but there's something about seeing a gray-haired old man riding a bike with his tongue hanging out that causes not just that dog, but every dog to come alive and say, we're going to have some fun, boys. What's this? And, you know, there's seriously something about a person on a bike that causes otherwise friendly dogs to act like vicious animals. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. And so I, as I was thinking about that, that's the way it is with sin. You know, I truly believe that those dogs are so friendly, but there's something about a bike that makes them want to bite. I just thought of that. Something about a bike that makes them want to bite. And you know what? Sin causes us to do things that we would never otherwise do. You know, you've heard the saying, sin causes us, uh, sin takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you far more than you want to pay. And that's the way it is. You know, when we get involved in sin, we begin doing things that we would never otherwise do. But I don't want to leave you here at sin because... There's the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. And so where sin did abound, God's grace did much more abound. We're not left with hopelessness. And so this morning as we press restart, if there's been sin, don't try to come back as a mistaker. Come back as a full-blown sinner. And when you do that, Jesus will say to us, like, like he said to that woman, I don't condemn you, but you need to stop sinning. And when you do that, you can be restored back to Jesus. So as we wrap things up, I want you to just close your eyes. Nobody looking around. I want to have just a few seconds of silence to where you can just pray seek and search God right now and maybe together all of us you know if we have gone beyond just making mistakes and we've been involved in some sins maybe maybe right now we want to just come back and say Father I've sinned against heaven and against you will you forgive me would you restore me You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.